Hello, and welcome to Fantastic Comic Fan. I am your host, R.T. Fleming, and it is my mission to help you find your next digital comic book pick from the golden age to now. I have been reading comic books for over 40 years, and have never lost my passion for comic books. Something I try to pass on to old and new readers. It's Wednesday, February 22nd, 2023, and I have another giant-sized show today. On Monday, we have Bill Hester, who's doing his best work over at DC with Gotham City Year One. Yesterday, it was Chuck Satterley and Jeremy Megger talking about their brand-new limited series from Band of Bars. Their creation is Monsters and Midways, now available to order via previews in the series Magic is real. The wizard always protected a blissfully ignorant human population from dark magic. Fans of heavy metal, Hellboy, and Harry Potter will enjoy this thrill ride for the ages. If you're a new listener, hope you stick around, check out the shows and the past ones and the ones that I have coming out in the next couple of months. I have some fantastic ideas that I hope will pan out. Most episodes are short form bite size, usually 15, 20 minutes. This week they're a little bit longer. Hence the giant size. Now, sometimes the life of a podcaster is hard to balance with real life things. At a couple of hard 60 hour work weeks, followed by a short hospital stay. I'm good. I'm not going anywhere. I'm doing much better. No worries. I'm here to stay. I need to get a little time back to where I need to be in my life and then slowly start sifting through the realm of the podcast. Give me some time. We'll get things back on track. Now today, I'm extremely excited about today's guest, Robert Chershelskik, and I know I just butchered that name. Sorry, Robert. He's a New York Times best-selling author. He's done a lot of writing over the years, and today he's here to talk about a brand new biography he's working on about Steve Ditko. The project is even more fantastic because Robert is doing it in conjunction with the Ditko family. They're approving it. We're along all the way through the whole process. What a fantastic interview this makes for today's show. Again, let me repeat, I am not going there. I enjoy the podcast too much to let it go. I have some fantastic plans, and I hope you'll stick around. Oh, look at those show notes for stuff on Robert. You also find a link tree on the Fantastic Comic Fan. Please follow the podcast and social media and subscribe to the podcast. I want the podcast to continue to grow, and as I've said often, I want to introduce fans to a different way of covering and discovering comic books. Welcome back to the podcast. I have Robert Shoshanik. Gosh, I hope I said that right because I was reading it. it before. Thank you. Thank you. And he is going to be working on and has been working on a cool project, a state deco biography, but before we talk about that, you're the first time guest. I want to know your comic book origin story, how you became a lifelong fan of comic books. Oh, man. Well, when I was a little kid, <laughs> of course, as with many of us, right? That's how I started. That's what, that's what got me hooked. Actually, it was my best friend's mother bought a copy of Ghost Rider for me. I, I don't know why. He, she must have gotten him something, too, obviously, but I don't remember what that was. It was 70s, you know, Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider. And, and that's really what wired me in, you know, from then on. 
though I sort of branched out from Marvel then. I mean, wasn't just a Marvel fan. I also came to love DC to a lesser extent, Charlton, whatever else was available. But that's really how I started. And I just, I never lost the love of it. Never. Like maybe sort of had a little bit of a slump during maybe right after college, but then I picked right back up with it again. And Yeah, we were talking about your golden age of comic books and you're like, yeah. I can't ever part with you know, this section of comic books in my life. And I'm like the same way we keep going back to the same stuff that we read as a kid. And no matter how terrible they are, they float to the top and the greatest story we've ever read and <laughs> that type of thing. And it's true though. And people don't understand like long comic book fans that, you know, we've been alive a long time and we've been decades of reading yeah. comic books versus the person who just saw the Marvel movie in their 20s or the DC movie and just going to the comic book shop. To me, they missed a whole great opportunity growing yeah. up because when you were a kid, comic books were frowned upon. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's one of the most amazing things about living in this current time is how comic book fandom and superhero fandom has taken off the way it has. Like, when, when I was a kid, man, not only was it frowned on, it was like a, it was a punchable offense. You know what and, I mean? <laughs> and, and libraries did not have any comic books hardly at all. You might have a few things here and there. And Peanuts I collections. <laughs> and, and I don't know if you remember this particular comic book, but it was Showcase 100. What they did yeah. is they brought back all the, all of the characters that had been showcased. It was this yeah. really cool thing. And they had an archive. It's hard to get. And mm -hmm. I loaned it, I loaned it to my friend in school. And he yeah. had a spelling book, and the teacher caught him, uh, took my showcase 100, ripped it to shreds, and threw it in the garbage can. And what uh, these people didn't realize is that was, for me, I'm sure for you, a gateway to so much more reading. Not only when I like long comic book fan, I read novels and all kinds of books. things. It all came from being 10 and reading comic books and going down to my grocery store or pharmacy reading comic books. Yeah, I I don't think well obviously modern fans can never really appreciate that kind of feeling growing up in that kind of world where it was not accepted. In fact, you were looked upon as like a freak in in certain ways if if that's something you were into, you know? I think just as modern fans of like the new Star Wars films and TV shows can't fully appreciate how spectacular it was when the first star wars movie came out because there was not there had been nothing like that before and i mean nothing really like that good example yeah and then all of a sudden boom everything opened up you know and it's just i think it's really wonderful to have experienced those dark ages and then what came after see we grew up the time before there was comic book shops before there was yeah. an internet, before before you could go on the web and find all your spoilers, and you would <laughs> and you would go down to the pharmacy or your grocery store. Thumb, if you're lucky, you had a spinner rack. And to me, it was like, oh, what am I going to get this week? Oh, look at this! And it was such a joy. If you never knew from week to week, no. and that's just completely gone now. You know, you don't have any no. of that, and it's just you know, I like love that part. Electra. Right. I mean, the the what happened to Electra? I don't know if you do spoilers at all. I mean, no, no, that, go ahead. Yeah, considered no, no, a spoiler at this point, but the death of Electra back in Daredevil, what was it? 181 or something? Or yes. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, oh, my God, that was out of nowhere. You just couldn't believe it when you saw that. Well, we talked a little bit about this uh, off camera mm. and I did a podcast. But and I'm 10 years old, but DC did a huge chunk of around 77, 78 of killing off a bunch of characters. They yep. killed off they killed off Aqua Baby. 
They killed off. <laughs> yes. Okay. I know. It was a tragedy. Yeah. You know, fans yeah. now don't realize, you know, yeah, he had a kid and it was from the Silver Age. They killed off that. They killed off yeah. Iris Allen for the first time and yeah. stayed dead. You know, uh, they killed off the Silver, I'm sorry, the Golden Age Batman, the Golden Age Catwoman. They killed yeah. off the Silver Age Batwoman. And, and oh, Mr. Terrific back then, even Gene Gray, when deaths happened back then, they stayed dead. Yeah, was, you know, very rare. Now it's like ah, they're dead today. They'll be back tomorrow. No big <laughs> deal. You know, yeah. and and back then it's like when they actually killed off, for example, Iris Allen. There's mm -hmm. it's a really well going Stacey another, but there was a really powerful scene where Barry's friend from work is holding up Iris's wedding ring and going, "She didn't make it here." And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, that was such." And I'm like, and I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm ten years old, you know, <laughs> what you know, but comics were so much different back then, yeah. and. Comic books led you to being a lifelong reader mm -hmm. and as an author. Before we talk about the Dicto Project, what yeah. else? What, what kind of writer do you do? What kind of stuff have you done? And really, listen, folks, this guy is like the Stephen King of a writer and a James Paris Alcombine. This guy could go on for the next two hours talking about all his credentials and things that he's written. And I mean that with the greatest compliment. But you have like, a huge stuff that you do. But tell us some of the stuff that you've been doing and what you got going on. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I've, I've written lots of short stories over the years and have them published in many different magazines and websites and, and things. And I've written a bunch of novels and I've had work published by different companies, including I've written um, some comics for DC Comics uh, years ago. And also um, I've done some work for Ahoy. Most recently, I wrote uh, a story for Edgar Allan Poe's Snifter of Blood. Uh, it was out last year or the year, maybe late the year before. And then I also write a lot of short fiction for Ahoy as well. In fact, I just recently sold another um, short fiction piece to them, which will be in an upcoming issue of one of their comics. I never know which one it'll be until it lands on my doorstep. And so I still keep a hand in the comics side of things. But then I also write novels and I've written licensed uh, official Star Trek fiction for Pocket Books, also um, Doctor Who fiction, for Big Finish, the publisher Big Finish. I've written a bunch of tie-in fiction for other companies as well. Audio dramas. Uh, I write essays for different books. For example, I wrote some essays for a book about uh, John Constantine or Constantine, however you choose to pronounce it. <laughs> tomato, tomato, all the same thing. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you know, I, I have a real wide range of interests and I like to write a lot of different things. So, Any true comic book fan knows Steve Ditko. But there are always yeah. those new readers who have no idea the importance of Ditko, not just with the Marvel mythos, but throughout mm -hmm. the whole comic book industry. You know, and Spider-Man just recently celebrated his 60th anniversary. Yeah. Why should anybody care about stuff that happened 60 years ago and anything Ditko in general? Yeah, well, Steve was a one-of-a-kind talent, truly, in, in every way. He was um, a, a conceptualist. He was not just an artist, but he was also a, uh, a writer and a plotter um, right from almost right from the beginning. He was he was a guy with a broad vision of what comics could be and how they could reflect life and story. And he brought a really unique sensibility, um, which I know doesn't exactly answer your question, but I guess it's just by way of explaining some of the great qualities of his work. But he was a founding father of Marvel Comics as we now know them. He worked um, with Stan Lee at uh, Atlas, right? Before the changeover to Marvel. 
And they did a lot of work together there, which maybe modern fans might not be so aware of if they're coming into Marvel Comics as new fans, as new readers. They should seek out that early work by those two because they did a lot of collaborations, especially in like, um, I think it was called Amazing Adult Fantasy at the time. There were other titles as well that they worked on, but it was like a lot of short, punchy stories, sort of like Twilight Zone style um, with a twist ending. And Steve was developing his unique style and did a lot of you know work there, helping to conceive these stories. Anyway, once they changed over to the superhero kind of mode, once they got the idea to do this sort of thing, Steve got involved with Stan in creating The, the Amazing Spider-Man. Though there are differing stories as to who did what, it is undeniable at this point, um, looking back historically, that Steve played a major role in creating Spider-Man. There would not be Spider-Man as we know him today without Steve Ditko. Absolutely, period, stop, end of sentence. He also played a major role in creating Doctor Strange. In fact, Stan really acknowledged that it was Steve's idea in a letter that was published years ago. And I looked it up right before the podcast, but I don't have it right in front of me at the moment. He really acknowledged this was Steve's idea. You know, he, he the two of them were still signed on as co-creators but he's like yeah this was this was steve's this was steve's plan and this is what he wanted and they worked together and and steve even got co-plotter credit on stories later in their collaborative um, work together so steve helped to lay the groundwork for those two characters and also was influential in developing other characters like the hulk he did some early work in developing the hulk with kirby and also in developing iron man's classic visual beyond the gray, the initial gray armor, the Tony wore, you know, the big gray clunky, you know, um, suit of armor. He helped to develop the red yellow aesthetic that became popular. He played a major role early on. And then they had a parting of the ways and, and this sort of, but that initial period from 1962 to 1965 is seen as kind of a golden age for Marvel and, and for Steve fans. And it showed what Steve could do. My introduction to Ditko, and I really like his Strange Tale stuff, his Doctor Strange stuff, actually yeah. more than Spider-Man. My introduction, you remember this, were those little pocket books back in the late 70s where they crammed all those issues in with real small print, which explains why I have to wear glasses these days. <laughs> and I'm glad Stanley got his, his credential, and I'm not undermining what he did, his contributions mm -hmm. and his commitment to, to the oh, industry yeah. with them, but he was a man and, mm -hmm. you know, he, he wasn't perfect, but I remember reading the, and it, it, what brought me up is when you're talking about his acknowledging Ditko with some of the stuff back in the late nineties and tomorrow's published it. They did an interview with Roy Thomas interviewing mm -hmm. Stan Lee. Yeah. And Stan Lee was so gracious, you mm -hmm. know, and talking about, people and you know he was talking about how he gave Maurice Severin to work on the Hulk and some of these other things and but he really does give credit in lots of ways to his co-creators you can't really get into it he said they said between you know the Silver Age my gosh it was 60 years ago Stan even said this happened ex no I don't remember the whole details who could I can't remember what I ate for dinner yesterday half the time <laughs> You know, years ago. So that, you know, Marvel, he, Sticko left Marvel, but that wasn't, I mean, he continued to have a major influence. And we can go on about some of the things, but before you go on, 
Charlton Comics to me has always been the little comic book engine company that could because yeah. it started in the golden age. They went all the way to the middle of the Bronze Age. They completely put stuff out all the time. They didn't have those high quality books, but a lot of talent either got their start at Charlton or made a home at some point in, with Charlton. And they were, you know, they were there and they don't always get the credit that they should. But go on, tell us a little bit about Steve Ditko after this little bit of time at Marvel. Yeah, he went back to work for Charlton. Actually, he had started with Charlton um, right out of comic book art school. And I, the, the name of the school escapes me now. But, it, but anyway, he yeah, that was where he initially started doing his first work um, was was for Charlton, what they were back in the 50s. But then after after he left Marvel in 65, he did go back to, to working more with Charlton. And and he really kind of spread his wings there. Uh, he, he enjoyed working for that for that company, for those people, though the page rate was not as good as what he was getting at Marvel. He had a lot more creative freedom. That's what I was going to say. They pretty much let him almost do anything that he wanted. He must have loved it there. And he wasn't doing it for the pay rate. He had to do it because he had total creative freedom. Yeah. And and again, let me just also preface everything that I'm saying by saying, this is my interpretation based on what I've determined. And the same thing with me when I put out my little two cents. It's just stuff that I've looked at too and yeah. we are not obviously experts at anything but it's just right. you know we, we were digging around and i believe on comic book plus if you look around you can actually see and find some of not just steve ditko's charlton during the 60s but some of the golden yeah. age comic book plus is a great resource to check out creators yeah. before they became famous you know i know that on that website i can't remember the name they actually had the first published comic book that Steve Ditko ever did anything in. I forget what it was. It was a really wonky comic book and the cover was really uniquely different. I don't remember yeah. where, where it, was, it was. It was called It, I think. It was, it should, sure. it's, you know what? It was, it was, it was the thing, 1954. The thing, that's it. thing number 12, 1954. Was it was the first, first, first published comic book cover. Yeah. And yeah. it's a really different style. It's really, yeah. you know, even back then, and Ditko... And, you know, we could go on for the next hour talking about his time yeah. in DC and back to Marvel. And actually, we should actually do that sometime. Mm-hmm. But the, the point we're, we're, we're trying to make is that Steve Ditko's fingerprints are all over the place. As yeah. much so as Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, Bushima, Romita, yep. all these, anybody you can think about, Ditko is right there. It's a so, collaborative, it's a collaborative yeah. endeavor, like filmmaking. You know, exactly. we'll like work together to make this fight. And it wouldn't be the same without uh, uh, any, without all of them working together. Exactly. Now, this is very cool. You reside in the same hometown still, yeah. still as Steve Dicto, Johnstown, Pennsylvania. So I'm curious, has the town always realized who Steve Dicto was? And has mm-hmm. it changed? Did they actually change over the years? And, and like now they actually give him a little yeah. more. Oh, my so, God. So on, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> really? So it's, it's, so yeah. when did it start? When did they when did they start giving him some credit? And how is the town now with Steve Dickel? I'm really happy that you said that. That was I'm yeah. glad that, that they did that. But tell me a little bit about the city oh. and how they oh, we got Steve Ditko. Like like maybe two years ago, Ron. <laughs> that, just two years ago? I was hoping you would tell me at least 10 years ago or something. 
No, I mean, he was he was like one of the best kept secrets of this area. And, you know, truthfully, he did not want to publicize himself. Right. He didn't really want to have that to be widely known. He didn't want to be be like telling he didn't want comics fans to be showing up on his doorstep necessarily. And by that, I mean, he visited Johnstown often every year he came back. And that's one of the things that surprised me when I started researching this book is that he came back a lot. He loved this town. He loved his family and he came back and visited them every year. But still, he was a, his presence was almost a secret. I mean, it wasn't like they were like concealing him. He didn't come in in a dark cloak and they kept right. him in a you know black box room or something, but they didn't promote it. And I know when I was growing up, there was a rumor that Steve Ditko was from Johnstown. And we would laugh at it because it couldn't possibly be true. true. I mean, Johnstown's a small town, right? It's 45,000, 50,000 people, maybe. And it's a steel town. So, you know, it's always been like a heavy industry kind of place, though that's changed since the steel mills, a lot of them shut down. Some of those have kind of reopened um, since, but it's always been kind of a small town. And so we had a very small town mentality. We like, we always thought that's that's crazy. Steve Ditko did not come from Johnstown, but there were people who swore it was true. But we would always scoff and everybody would kind of laugh about it. But now, you know, over the years, it became more and more public knowledge, sort of sifting through the levels. People kind of acknowledged that it was true. And then just a couple of years ago, a group of people, you know, when Steve passed, they got together and decided that that it would be good to maybe try to promote this a little bit more and to give him some credit and to promote the area as his as his as his birthplace and and his and his home this is where he was from and he came back so often it was a part of him it was in his blood and and so these people you know working in conjunction with the family with the Ditko family uh started putting out some more information and worked together to create some events that happened in 2021 which i would have never in a million years imagined could have ever happened as a kid they had a they had a Ditko uh, mini convention here in town, just dedicated to Steve. They had a, a museum exhibit, which had a lot of Ditko work and Ditko personal possessions provided by the family, like a replica of his studio. And he had like his actual pens in a pen holder and his actual shirt hanging on. Oh, that is book. so cool. Now, from your, now, this is again your personal observation. Do you think Steve Ditko, now if you go, that's kind of cool. I thank you. I'm grateful. He'd go, ah, oh, please, people. I'm just, a, I'm just an artist. He wouldn't care what. Yeah. He, yeah. No, that's I, I, I don't think. I don't know. I mean, I can't speak. For I him. know, but, but, but my theory is no. He, he would probably say he wanted his work to speak for itself. He didn't want to promote himself. So when did you start this actual biography, and why did you yeah. decide to write Steve Ditko's biography? Why did you decide this? Well, the friend of mine named Bruce Wechtenheiser is a Johnstown resident. And he actually got to know the Ditko family personally over the years. And he sort of was in the inside as they were talking about maybe making some plans to promote Steve's connection to the area after his passing. So Bruce knew that I was a writer, that I had done some nonfiction work. I had I've written some big nonfiction books about some local department stores that um, have you know been successful. And Bruce said, hey, you know, Bob might be the guy to write this book. So he reached out to me, connected me to the family, and then I got in touch with them. And we had a meeting on the mountaintop. 
with with Steve's brother Pat, who he I said he looked he reminded me of Gandalf the Wizard when I first met him. He said he strode out of the he strode in through the woods with like this big walking stick and he had like a cloak on and I'm like what the heck is going on here? Not a costume, but it was you know a big uh, hooded coat of some kind and. Anyway, we met up and it turned out we were a good fit. He knew my other books, my nonfiction books that I had done. And he said, yeah, let's let's give it a try. And so we had some discussions and started down that road. And I think in in all humility, I think we've done a, a, a pretty great job of capturing Steve's life. First, briefly, how long have you been writing it? How long did it take you? And are you still, are you, are you done done yet with it? Or are you still just putting the pieces together? I'm done writing it. It okay. has been written. The manuscript is complete. It took about two years, uh, including research, interviews, photography, all that sort of thing. I took some trips to New York City and visited the doors of his one of his some of his studios where he worked, and also his apartment where he lived. Which, though I didn't actually manage to get inside for various reasons. It was still a wonderful experience. I mean, to stand in his footsteps. You're a fanboy at heart, aren't you? Yeah, it was it was incredible. <laughs> because we started because actually we're doing a taping for his Kickstarter also, and yeah. as we've as we've been taping this, Robert the author has slowly been placed replaced with Robert the fanboy, and your whole <laughs> tone, your whole demeanor, your whole voice, and everything has just yeah. completely. And hey, it's Steve Dicko. I get that. It's just, it's just yeah. very funny the way it's going. So what does what does Robert, the author, bring mm -hmm. to this project? Because you've done so much stuff. What do you bring to the project? Well, actually, the timing of this was perfect because I had written these other big nonfiction books um, that were about local department stores and a local dead mall that were really popular in their day and are still well thought of. And there's a lot of nostalgia for these things. And so I had some experience in going back and retracing stories and, and capturing interviews and getting to the details, the meat of the story and putting things together and gathering all these disparate elements together to tell a story. So I think that's what I really brought to the table here. Plus my, my love of the subject matter and the fact that I'm a native Johnstown resident, I think all that sort of came together and it was just like a, a perfect, not a storm, but a perfect uh, meeting of timing and, and talent. I don't want to get too personal because I, I don't like to do that, but how large is the Ditko family and how is it like interacting and meeting and doing them? Because I mean, I, again, I don't want to get too personal, but how, tell me a little bit about that. But I find that fascinating. Yeah. I, well, really, I, I talked to Pat a lot um, and Steve's brother and, and that had been a, that was a fascinating experience because he had the personal experience, personal memories of Steve, and he shared everything. And, and that's the one thing I would have to say about the family is they've all been um, giving and generous with their time and materials. And they're all very eager to see the best book possible produced. And are, they protective of his, are they protective of his legacy? Yes. Yes, they are. I mean, and, right and rightfully so. I, I agree. I, uh, that's awesome that the family yeah. has kind of like come together and like we're, we as a group yep. want to make sure that his legacy and everything, not just Marvel, remains intact. Well, and one one of one of their driving goals, I didn't mean to cut you off there. But no, that was my next question. Yeah, that was my next question. Is to correct some of the mythology 
that exists. And one of them said, um, you know, if you don't talk about the person, then other people will do the talking for you, right? So if you don't set the narrative, somebody else will. And that's happened over the years. You know, different people have, have you know, propagated different stories and different overviews, different, different perspectives on Steve as being a certain kind of person. And the family really wanted to correct that. They wanted to say, you know, he was a multidimensional human being. And there were a lot of sides of him that not everybody's aware of. He was a much different person than you might think he was. And that goes again to when I was talking, we were talking briefly about Stan Lee and some of the mythology that was incorrect about even Stan Lee or any of these creators. And when I found out you were doing a biography, not just a, a biography, but an authorized biography, yeah, I thought it was important. I wanted you on here to exactly to get that story straight, to, to sort out the mythology, to find out what the man was really about. Because you're right, you just by talking to you here off camera, whatever, my perception of Steve Ditko has been radically changed. Not I can't say radically, but I, I've got a full yeah. picture, and that's what I want. So, what other goals? were you and the family trying to accomplish? Well, we wanted to, they, they really want to, again, correct the mythology, tell the story, what this guy really was like, who he was. And also they wanted to tell the story of the whole family, I think, and, and what it was like for them uh, knowing him and being around him through the years. What it was like. I mean, can you imagine having Steve Ditko as your brother or your uncle? Uncle, yes. It's just... I mean, what was that like? And they talk about that. How many pages is this out of curiosity? Um, about, do you know well, offhand? Manuscript pages, I have about 250 pages. But um, again, the, the family is working on a timeline. Uh, specifically, one of Steve's nephews, Patrick, is working on a timeline with photographs and different materials that he's pulling together. And he's sort of hoping to present it um, like a page-by-page -page timeline in, told in parallel with the actual text of his of Steve's story. So the actual length of the book, I suspect, will be significantly longer than 250. I'd say maybe 400, maybe when it's all done. I'm not sure. So besides the rare photos, were you, ever to get, were you able to get like letters and other strange off the things to actually get to help you with that? Was that part of the deal with you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they copied a bunch of materials for me, um, articles from the paper. He was, uh, Steve was uh, voted most likely to succeed in a local art school that he attended in Johnstown. It was like a veterans art school because, you know, he was a vet. He, he was he was in uh, Europe uh, after World War II, I think it was 48, I think is when he was over there. And, and we have photographs of him in Europe during that time when he was in the military. He did cartoons for Stars and Stripes. And wow. the family did dig up at least one that I'm aware of. I think they were looking for more. But there are there are cartoons out there that exist in old editions of Stars and Stripes uh, newspaper. But it seems like their contributions were also so much full of love that they really, I mean, was that true on your part? I mean, were you surprised yeah. by how they 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 really they all united uh, behind this project. Nobody was sort of saying, ah, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to deal with this, or I don't know if this is right. I don't know if this is something he'd have wanted. You know, everybody was like, look, we want to propagate his legacy. We want to correct the myths. We want to tell our stories. We want to tell his story. And it was it was really a, just a great experience. I know, um, and it was great too that I got to talk to so many different members of the family because like one of them, uh, Mark is uh, one of his nephews, right? And and Mark 
uh, had a lifelong, really intense letter writing uh, relationship with Steve and also in person, a personal, you know, talked talk to him a lot about uh, philosophical things and really got down into the weeds with Steve about how he looked at the world and how he looked at art and what he did and how he felt about his different experiences. And so I got that kind of perspective from Mark. And then his uh, um, Steve's niece, Helena, she gave me a whole different um, point of view. She saw him more, more from a, 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 a humanizing um, point of view, or that's not the right term, but she saw him more as like a good person, a loving uncle, somebody who spent time with her and who would point out things of beauty in nature. And, well, and- a, a normal, like a normal person, because, you know, yeah. you as a fan and me as a fan, we... And we do this all of our careers, Stan Lee, Ditko, Kirby. We put them on these pedestals yeah. and we're talking. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And they were just people. And there's that humanness that people forget about these. Yeah. So that's very, multi- very cool. He was multidimensional. He was a really multidimensional person for sure. Because, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's a lot of stereotypical stuff that he was just loner, isolated, lived in New York, didn't talk to anybody. You know what? I mean? There's that myth. And that's totally is not the case when wow. he was back home. Am, am I true about that? I mean, is that kind yeah. of the the myth? He was this eccentric, you know, quirky guy that just lived here and nobody had it. it just, and I'm glad that's something kind of different. I think. I, I think I think it's safe to say he was a busy person, which, as you know, look at his output, right? I mean, look how much he did right to the end of his life, almost to the very end of his life. He just really produced a lot of work. So that took a lot of time, but in chair, right? We talk, we've talked about that, you and I. Yes. Uh, that's the key to, to productivity, of course, which seems very obvious, but not to everyone. And so he, sp- he was a busy person, so he didn't always have time to share with other people, but he did share a lot of time with people. And one of the things that fascinated me about him and his story is the way he had letter writing exchanges with multiple people over decades, if you wrote him a letter, and I can testify to this because I wrote him letters and he wrote me letters back before I became involved with this project. If you wrote him a letter and sent it to his address, which was not a secret, you could find it online, right? Or through a phone book. He would more than likely send you a letter back. And he might say, "Eh, sorry, I can't help you out. I'm not gonna autograph your copies of Spider-Man because he was not an autograph person. However, he would sign his name at the bottom of the letter. So in, 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 in effect, he would send you an autograph. He would send you something personalized that was, you know, that would mean something to you. And he did this again with like, different people. Some people he would exchange letters with over decades. I'm not exaggerating, like hundreds. There are people who have gathered these letters into books and published them. Well, that was, my next, that was my next kind of question on the side. Yeah. Is there some kind of other side project that can come out of this Steve Ditko bag that you could possibly do, like a collection of letters or other things connected with Steve Ditko? I mean, have you thought about that possibly? I don't know. I, I know the family is interested in other projects, but I, I don't know exactly what they'll come up with. Um, I hope so... you're attached to it because you're very passionate about this project and they must be pleased with you. And I think Thanks. you, not only as the author, but as the fanboy, Mm. would very much love to contribute to more Ditko-related stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to get out more pieces of the story, more pieces of the puzzle, um, because it's it's impossible to know any human being in full, right? Unless you are that human being. I mean, even then, 
you don't always know everything about yourself. The more you dig into somebody's life and the more you piece things together, the more interesting that person becomes, the more fully realized, the more three-dimensional. So that's what we tried to do here. We talked a little bit about Ditko in the Marvel Silver Age and the relationship between Stan and Steve, but do you have any kind of insights that might surprise fans overall? Uh, insights into into what into Steve's like well, well like well it's insights into you know because we see it or a lot of people see it Stan Lee and Steve Ditko were always arguing and this and that. And we talked a little bit about that, but was anything kind of unique, special during that Silver Age at Marvel that might really surprise fans about all that? Because we well, like to we, we like to turn things into big drama, and it's not yeah. always drama. These are guys who are just putting out comic books who didn't think comic books were. I'm sure when they did Spider Man back in '63, they had no idea what the heck they were creating. These people were just putting out comic books, not even sure Marvel would be around in ten years, or comic books would be around in ten years. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think it's safe to say that from the beginning, uh, Steve was putting everything he could into his work. So what you see on the pages of Amazing Spider-Man and Doctor Strange, you know, th- those early that early work took on a life of its own, became very popular, laid the groundwork for, for you know, Marvel as, as we now know it in a lot of ways for a reason, because he put so much into it. He really was a dedicated craftsman from the beginning. So he wasn't, you know, he wasn't just a hack. He wasn't like slamming pages and just getting the artwork out, trying to produce as much as possible to maximize his his page, his um, what he's earning from his page rate. He was determined to bring uh, new design aesthetics to his work. And, and I think that was one of the things that I came to realize and to appreciate even more from, from studying him and from learning a little bit about, uh, about his early career. And also, you know, I don't think I don't know. I, I could be wrong. I wasn't there, but I don't think there was like a lot of open animosity in the in the bullpen. You know, I think I, I don't think he and Stan were were hanging out together um, necessarily. You know, going out for drinks after work or whatever. But they, you know, I don't think there was a lot of open open conflict there. But and 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 I think it was I think it was uh, an interesting relationship uh, because you know they they both brought something to the table. They and, were both interesting yeah. dynamic people. Yeah. You know, and Steve wanted the work to speak for itself, and Stan was very much uh, a megaphone. <laughs> he was he was a promoter, and so I think they both brought those different aspects in in different ways uh, to the work, and and that's kind of what helped to make it what it is today. So he did stuff later on. Did you actually outside? Of, did you like outside of the family? Did you talk to people at Marvel or DC or anybody connected outside of just the family for this? It was just a family centric. Yeah story of steve's life no i I talked i talked to some people who edited steve's work uh and worked with him and in some cases i found some interview materials uh through a friend of mine uh will murray who is a uh a comic book writer he's the co-creator of squirrel girl with steve okay you know steve co-created squirrel girl and will had some had done some interviews with uh frank mclaughlin um who was you know a leading light at charlton and he also had some content that he found from Joe Gill, who was a nut, was a major, major writer at Charlton. He wrote like so much Charlton content. It's it's insane. He was really cranking up, uh, you know, scripts back in the day. So we, we we covered, I think, at least in part, 
each of the different phases of Steve's career. We talked to maybe not the people from Silver Age Marvel, but the people from Marvel when Steve came back in the 80s, right? When he returned, though he wasn't working on Spider-Man, though they tried, I'm <laughs> they sure they tried did. Yeah. to get him back in there. But he just he wasn't interested. He wanted to move on to, to other other things. Rom Space Night was one of the books that he worked on a lot, and Speedball, right? And geez, machine, he did I, Machine Man, I believe, for a while, also yeah. at one time. Yes. Yeah. Oh, he he did a, he did a lot there. And I talked to Jack C. Harris, uh, who was um, Steve's editor at DC, where and and wrote a lot for him at DC as well. So he talked about Shade the Changing Man. Yes. And and the Creeper. And Hawk and Dove, yeah, Hawk and Dove, yeah. So see, Steve, we talk about we talk about these these you know Steve Ditko. They, they think of Spider Man, but they forget he also did the the DC side of things. You know, the yeah. Hawk and Dove. You know, all these characters that are still part of the, the DC mythos. Now, one of the, or what was kind of like really surprising that surprised you with this project overall? Uh well, I think. I think what was most surprising to me was that that you know different things that I had heard or read over the years had no real basis in reality and that Steve was indeed um a friendly person he was very engaging again I said you know as I said before he was a busy person so he had work you know I mean he 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 worked hard and so he didn't always, you know, answer the door and welcome everybody in, you know, who showed up. But when he could, he would make time for people. And it was also encouraging to different creators. If somebody would send him um, a piece of work or like a fanzine or something, um, he might take the time to respond and say, yeah, this is pretty good or you need to work on this or whatever. He was an encouraging person. And, and I think the thing that most surprised me, as I said earlier, is um, his continued relationship with the, the town of Johnstown which not only did I not know for sure that he was from Johnstown until relatively recently, but I didn't know they came back every year. He came back at least once a year, usually two or three times. He'd come back at the holidays, especially, and celebrate the holidays with his extended family. And he would like, they'd sing Christmas carols and exchange gifts. He would always make these little dough balls called babalki, which were, it's like a tradition in his family and from his ethnic background. And he would make these babalki and then they would serve them. And it was a big thing. So, and then in the summer, he'd come back for cookouts and he'd play with the kids. And I guess what I'm saying is it, it surprised me that he came back as often as he did. And and I wonder sometimes if I even might've crossed paths with him and just didn't realize. He didn't even know it years. over the years. You know. Would you consider doing another comic book related biography? Yeah. Yeah, especially if I had the kind of access to materials and people that I did for the, for this book. You got extremely lucky. You hit a yeah. gold mine. You you know, I mean, you you got that pot at the end of the rainbow and won that two hundred fifty million dollar you know mega lottery and yeah. getting this. I mean, as I'm sure when you were doing this, you were again surprised how much access and generous these people were yeah. to put this together. And I guarantee you. When we read this, that will filter right through your words. I just, yeah. I cannot wait for this to come out. Not, not, not every door was open everywhere I went, um, but the family's doors were all open. And and I did try to provide as rounded a picture as I possibly could. I even talked to people at the Atlas Society related to the, uh, the Ayn Rand um, and objectivism, which was one of Steve's key philosophies. And he expressed it a lot in his work, especially in his later work. Um, so, you know, I, th I think we 
covered a lot of the bases and tried to present him in, in, in as rounded a way as possible. So yeah, I would love to do another creator who had that kind of depth and for whom I had that kind of access. Before we wrap this up, because literally we could talk for another hour or two and enjoy oh, yeah. this and not run out of stuff. <laughs> and I'm actually, I've actually got stuff in my head like, no, this is not a mini series. We are just going to. <laughs> we just Before... scratched the surface here. Oh, I know. I'm sure your, your viewers, <laughs> yeah. <or> listeners. <laughs> you know what? And, and, and this is true. If you don't know Steve Ditko, mm -hmm. Google the guy. Look around. Look at the show notes. We're going to have information about this book there. When it comes out, you owe it to yourselves really, truly to get something like this. Because thank you so much for coming out. This is a very, this turned out to be much better than I, I thought. Thank thanks. you so much for giving me your time on this. Is there anything you want to say before we wrap this I, up? I just I just wanted to add one thing, which is yes. that I, I do encourage everyone to Google him if, if you're not familiar with his work and look at more than just like one or two things. You know, look at the expanse of his work look at his early Marvel work, look at his work for Warren Publishing, Warren Magazines. He did some incredible ink wash work for Warren, which will blow your mind. And so don't just like settle on one little thing and say, uh, or, uh, you know, like get in there and really dig deep. And and again, don't just buy into uh, the, some of the simplified myths that you might think. This book will provide the truth or as close as we can come to who he was and what he was like in real life. Robert, thanks for joining me on this podcast. We are definitely going to figure out a way to get you back out here again. Thanks again. It was a joy having you. I'm Ron. Thank, Thank you. you. Keep on trucking. Yeah. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Again, I would love to hear from you, fantastic comic fan at gmail.com. Remember, new episodes every Wednesday. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and I hope to see you next time.